Okay, y'all. We're back with another returnee, Miss Crystal Bennett. She is a trauma-informed expert, a victim, an advocate, a military spouse, and a mother of four. So welcome back, Crystal. It's nice to have you. Nice to see you again. Yep. Awesome to be back. Connect with you beautiful ladies and uh, talk about a topic that's so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yes, yes. Before we dive into this topic, um, how have you been? <laughs> Any updates? Yeah, um, lots going on. The last time I was on, I was stuck stuck in the Midwest over in Kansas. That was not for me, y'all. Not for me. Um, <laughs> any of y'all that, that, that get gotta go to Kansas, don't go. <laughs> Just don't go. Get out. That's that get out. <laughs> um, so since then, we've been in California. Um, it is it is eighty six degrees right now, y'all. So it's hot, hot, hot. Um, and a lot happening with the business, just um, a lot of things that have been taken off. So just excited to be with you all and talk about Thrive and and me and uh, and the work ahead. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like all positive changes. So that's great. Yeah. No more kids, though. We, we've done it for. So we're good. <laughs> I feel you on that. I feel you on that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, today's topic is imposter syndrome and how is the colonization of the mind caused by navigating systems of white supremacy. Now, to give y'all some background, imposter syndrome was originally termed imposter phenomenon in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes, with the focusing being high achieving women. Now, imposter syndrome, in short, what I summed it up to be is just pretty much you doubting your abilities and feelings as if you're not deserving of all your accomplishments and praises as if you don't belong. Now we know that imposter syndrome, now we know that what it is and you know what it can look like. Many don't talk about why it exists in the first place, not taking into account the historical and cultural factors that brought about it. So we can really dive into this topic. So Crystal, you can go ahead and start us off. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you kind of giving a little bit of that background. A lot of times I talk to people and I give the definition that imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern where an individual doubts their skills, their talents, their accomplishments, um, and it's this internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And so my issue with this definition is it seems to imply that there's something wrong with you and that there's something wrong in your head. Right. Like if you go to any therapist, if you're going to any coach and believe me, I'm not knocking therapists because I'm an LMSW myself. But a lot of the times the, the cure or the way to, to try to counteract imposter syndrome is a little cognitive behavioral therapy, that good old CBT. Let's get rid of the stinking thinking. Let's do those positive mantras. Let's journal. Right. All of those things that kind of you know, sit baby in a corner, you go heal yourself, and then you come back and you let me know how you did. But we failed to look at who is disproportionately impacted by imposter syndrome. So if we really dig deep, we obviously know that women are disproportionately impacted, but then we know that women of color are even more disproportionately impacted. People of color uh, disproportionately impacted. First generation college students disproportionately impacted. Then people who are LGBTQ2IA plus disproportionately impacted. So what that tells me is that we have to look at how do systems of oppression attribute to feeling like an imposter, 
right? And so if we just dig, you know, way far back and we start thinking about workplaces, like who were workplaces designed to meet the needs of? White men, right? And when you think about the work week, we're talking about a nine to five, 40 hour work week because women were at home taking care of the children, all this outdated stuff. These are spaces that now we are all forced to try to function in when those spaces were never designed for us. Okay, and so every day we're walking in spaces where we're feeling less than, we're feeling inadequate, we're feeling like we don't belong. And because those spaces weren't designed for us to belong in the first place, we're experiencing what are the professional standards of conduct, right? How are you supposed to talk? How are you supposed to look? How are you supposed to act? You have to do it perfect. You have to be an individual. Like that stuff is heavy. And we're entering these spaces each and every day trying to be successful. And as they say, you know, especially for us people of color, black women, we're working twice as hard to be seen half as good every day. We're in meetings where we're contributing our thoughts, we're contributing our input. And you go three people down and John brings up the same thoughts, the same input, and everybody's like, hey, John, that was a great idea. Talk more about that. But nobody says like, hey, let's go back to the conversation that Mary brought up or Crystal brought up or Candace brought up and let's pause on their great idea. So then we walk out of the meeting thinking, gosh, I should have said it more assertively. Oh, I should have been more clear. And we blame ourselves and think that there's something wrong with us when the reality is it's not that we don't belong. It's that those spaces are not ready for us to be there. It's so interesting in hearing everything because I'm just like, oh my God, going through so many examples of my life. Right. You know, in my head of things. Um, but, I, you know, as military spouses, obviously the constant moving around. It's so many different arenas where we probably find ourselves in that situation. I think about from obviously consistently switching jobs to the different, um, even your husband's workplace and meeting his coworkers and their families and trying to constantly feel like you need to fit in or fit a certain standard to I don't know, that you need to live up to, basically. And, um, and man, I, just, I know that feeling so well, because even, like, with coming up, being in, like, particular uh, programs at school or something like that, right, where you may find yourself to be possibly the only black person within a certain class, or it may only be a few of you. You know, I've been to different programs where it was a group of us, and we kind of huddled together. But I, I constantly felt that pressure to try to be ultra successful just because I didn't want people thinking I was there, you know, for, you know, for some, some diversity rule or something like that. Even though I can look at the same person, like a person across from me who is not on my level, but it's just like, you don't have to walk around with that same pressure. So like taking it back and just thinking about what you said about it, obviously this, this stems from way before, um, mm -hmm. where we just got to a point where we value whiteness i mean all you know beyond just uh i mean we can go from uh, from the physical look you know the things that that were praised within the media within culture stuff like that um for traditions whatever it is so it's just i don't know it's just it's interesting but it's like so how do you now being in this position knowing what you know right the hard part is trying to figure out what is that next step because we still want to get in the door right 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 so, how do you, uh, I don't even know how to phrase the question I'm trying to ask right now. I'm sorry, y'all. 
No, no, no. I like it's like how do you get to a place where you want to say like as I don't know, confident, but you should be confident in yourself anyway. Like walk with confidence, keep your head up and, and enter that room knowing like you deserve to be here because we do deserve to be there. But at the same time, it's still kind of hard for us because we're always constantly dealing with those microaggressions. Like for black women, if we wear our hair a certain way in the workplace, they got something to say. If we speak too loudly, oh, we're angry, you know, angry. Like it's always constantly those type of things that, that are a burden to us you know well not even a burden to us but it's constantly that pressure that's weighing us down because it's like they ain't no matter what we do it's like to them we'll never be good enough but we know that we are yeah as i'm listening to you kind of frame this question candace like i almost am thinking to myself like how is it that you enter spaces knowing that it's a space that you need to be in and showing up as your genuine authentic self without this need to code switch in order to be successful right it, it's like you know, we have been, and I have to, I have to chuckle because I was actually just having this conversation with a really amazing girlfriend of mine this morning, where she was telling me. So she's she's a black woman and has three beautiful black children. Um, and her children's school, they have a new black guidance counselor who essentially has been meeting with all of the parents and told my girlfriend that she needed to teach her children how to code switch so that they can be successful once they graduate high school and go on to college, right? I mean, and this is a black woman who is saying this. And so, you know, I think that speaks so much to how we are all, regardless of what race we are, we are conditioned. We are we are all drinking the Kool-Aid and swimming in this fishbowl. Like, it's not just white people who are upholding white supremacy culture. It is all of us because we've been conditioned that if you're going to be successful, you better get with the program. You better enter into these spaces, not create conflict, maintain the status quo, get as close to whiteness as you can in order to move up that ladder. And for me, I'm not going to say that I've never done that because I have. Like I sit, I'm, I'm an owner of my own company right now, and I'm an executive director of another organization. And, and I realize I've gotten where I'm at because I've played the game. Right. And and I'm not proud of playing that game. I am not. It has taken a really long time for me to do some self-evaluation around what has the playing the game cost me. Right. And that playing the game has cost me my own self, my own sense of pride, my own sense of integrity. Um, and even when we think about the manifestation of racial trauma in our bodies, like there's a cost to us actually physically and psychologically when we think about how we hold in that trauma. Um, and one quote that I want to just, you know, that it isn't my quote, I, I got it off Facebook um, that I thought was so powerful. But the quote was, imposter syndrome is actually the whispers and effects of colonization. Don't listen to those voices. You belong where you walk. Mm, that's powerful. Right? Because let's think about those whispers that are in our ears and on our shoulders every time we're in spaces. And, you know, so I, I use this four-step approach at least for myself personally, and I've shared with people kind of over the course of the last few weeks, um, that when I'm feeling like an imposter and trying to figure out how to navigate spaces is that I want to name it, right? And naming it is like naming the, naming the thing that has made me feel this way. 
And that thing is not something wrong with me. That thing is the meeting where I was passed up or the promotion that I was passed up for or, or the person who says that I'm the angry black woman, right? Like those are the things that we name. And then step two is we frame that and we frame it external to ourselves. So gosh, it's not crystal. You're uneducated or crystal. You're not, you're not qualified. It's God, crystal. Like you're in this space where you're being tokenized crystal. You're in this space where you're forced to code switch, which is telling you that you're not valid as a person and then being able to accept who you are and what your culture is. And so framing all of these components of white supremacy culture and then taming it is like, how do I hold on to these feelings and practice community care by getting in sisterhood with people who we can just have these conversations and be around each other. And then lastly, it's about claiming it and claiming your strengths, claiming your abilities, claiming your seat at the table, but also knowing your worth that if that table is not ready for you to be part of it, then you take your strengths and you walk away from that table because we are, you know, they say we're in the great, what do they say, the great resignation? We're in the great liberation and people are picking up their stuff and they walking out and I'll tell you all right now, like. They need us more than we need them. And I, I, I love those steps. I think I'm I'm going to use, I'm not, I think I'm definitely going to use that going forward because I know too many times I'm quick to code switch. Like my husband, he even jokes, he was like, why? And like, just like, you know, just applying for jobs. Like, oh, I know I can get my foot through the door because all they looking at is my resume. If I don't click that I'm black, that's, you know, that increases my chances because just by having Mary, oh, Yo, yeah, we gon' we gonna let's take a look at her, you know, let's interview her and see what she has to offer. But when they see your face, it's a different story. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, because there are so many disparities in hiring practices. I mean, we know that if you have a uh what do they say, an ethnic sounding name, and I got my quotes, my finger quotes up on that, but you know, if you've got an ethnic sounding name, you're like fifty percent less likely <laughs> to even get a call for an interview. Although I will say, since the murder of George Floyd, if you got an ethnic sound and name, you're probably more likely to get called because now you're about to be tokenized. Like, not everybody wants diversity. Like, bring in all of the brown people over here because we got to take their picture and get them on our website. <laughs> we got the token black guy on our team. We got the token black woman on our team. Like, the next step is trying to figure out what we can do, especially as parents of young black children who you know, we're going to try to teach them the right way, right? Because every time when I get new knowledge like this, I try to <laughs> reset and be a better parent. And I know like, um, that, you know, there's obviously the wave of like, uh, I was recently having this conversation with somebody, something simple as a lot more black women wearing natural hair, right? That it seemed like it was a wave that, that occurred. And what would always shock me is when I would hear people say like, Oh wow! All of a sudden, everybody want to go natural. I'm like, should we be? That's that's okay. Like, like we should be appreciating the fact that everybody's getting to a point where they're getting comfortable with themselves to say, hey, I can wear my hair like this. You know, I can, I can go to work like this, go to school like this, right? So, like for me, for instance, I I was one who I grew up with relaxed hair. Um, Mary will tell you, I cannot do hair. Like, I am horrible at doing hair. Okay. <laughs> So, so, so I, I, <laughs> so I stuck to my relaxing for the longest. Um, now I currently, I don't, I don't have one, but you see, that's why my hair is wrapped up. Right now. 
because it's bad. But anyway, but I say all that to say because my daughter is natural, right? So that's like something I'm trying to bring her up with a different mindset than what I have. But with the idea of of dealing with um, the imposter syndrome, what what are some things you think we can kind of help when it comes to like our kids or whatever to try to hope that they don't have to go through this at least as strong as you did? I still feel like at the end of the day. It's going, to, it's going to take some time to break the system, so to speak. You know what I mean? So there may be moments that they still deal with it. But my desire is that it won't be to the level that we have over the span of our lives. Yeah. Um, you know, kids, as, as a mom of four black children, that is such a, a great question. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the answers. But I will say, like, there's such a power in racial socialization um, so I do a lot of work around the increased suicide rates that we're seeing amongst our black children. Um, and there was actually a study done from 1991 to 2017 that showed that suicide rates amongst black children increased by 73%. And for black children ages five to 12, our black kids are dying at twice the rate of their white counterparts by suicide. And there's no legitimate explanation besides the stressors of experiencing racism and discrimination in so many different spaces that they're part of. Um, so when we think about increasing those protective factors, it is about racial socialization. Like, you know, I have conversations with my kids about who were their ancestors and, and our ancestors were not slaves. Our ancestors were people who were enslaved and they were people who were kings and queens and doctors and lawyers and talking about just the successes in the black community, um, talking about cultures and like you said, talking about hair and, um, you know, I have my six-year-old, he has longer hair and he'll talk about wanting to, he doesn't want to wear it in braids, he wants to get it cut. And so we have those conversations around, well, what's happening at school? Are people saying things to you about your hair? And then we're able to show pictures about, you know, of other black and brown people that, you know, that representation really matters and talking about how enslavement like stripped us of our culture right you think about when people who were enslaved were brought here like as a way to dehumanize them their hair was shaved off and so that history is so important um also i think with with a lot of our kids is that we have to be okay sharing with them that, that they don't have to be perfect um and i say this from a personal standpoint my oldest is 14. um he has been a perfectionist since the day he was born um probably because mom is a perfectionist um but when he was in fourth grade that was the very first time in his life that he struggled to learn something and to know something and he wrote in a paper at school that he didn't want to be alive anymore because he couldn't figure out how to do his schoolwork. Um, and so I said to him, I said, you know, bud, like mama doesn't know everything. And he said, you don't. And it was like this eye opener to him. Like, wait a minute. Like, it's okay not to know everything. And so I say all that to say, like when we think about white supremacy components, these components perpetuate this culture of perfectionism that perpetuates this idea that there's only one right way of doing things. And so 
I say like we teach our kids about the opportunity for growth and a culture of learning and and push for that thinking outside of the box. And the more we can do it, not only with black kids, but with all of our kids, then it increases the possibility that we can amplify and we can elevate each other. Like even us as black women in the workspace, you know, why are we in competition with each other? That's that crabs in a barrel mindset. That's like, those are the master's tools actively at work, pitting us against one another, rather than amplifying and elevating each other to dismantle this house. That is that is definitely big because it's like, you know, you see other, like our white counterparts, they're, they're quick to, you know, cheer on, you know, the next person. But when it comes to us, it's like we turn each other down. Like, we should not be in competition. We should all be trying to win together. You know, we all can win. We all can eat from the same table. So that, I, I just thought, I don't get it. Like I don't get it either. There <laughs> was a like study it. that was just, yeah. Yeah, there, there was a study that was just done by um, an organization called Race to Lead. And what they found is that 70, no, 86% of white CEOs are replaced by another white person. And 70% of black CEOs are succeeded by a white person, right? And to me, like my first question is, if you are in a position as a black person in a CEO spot, what are we doing to make sure that that next person, like we looking out for other black men and women to say like, hey, sit, like you gonna sit in this seat right. And so I wonder, I wonder if that comes from people being worried about how it looks in the sense of, oh, instead of it, instead of you getting a qualified candidate, you got your homeboy, you got your homegirl, and not realizing that, no, that person is more than qualified for this position. And that's who I choose to take over, you know, once I'm gone. But I think people sometimes may start thinking about it in such a negative way of, oh, you know, they're not going to think that, once again, that this person is not supposed to be here. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, I don't know, like almost like a, a discredit to them in terms of their judgment. So it's like a safe bet is to go that route, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think also just get to that higher that higher point. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Candace. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, or they get to that higher point and then they drink more of that Kool Aid and it's like, "Mm, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah's my sis, my new sis, and she deserves it over Trina. You know, like, because sometimes when you get to that point and you make it so far and higher up, you forget where you come from and you forget to help out the people that helped you along the way. Oh, facts, right? I mean, you know, and it's interesting to your point, Candace, around like being afraid of how it looks, but nobody's, nobody say anything about how it looks when white people do it. Like, come on, like we know, like a white person is the person that no, they exactly, play exactly. golf with and it's exactly. like, hey, I'm bringing my buddy John over who's going to be the new COO. And everybody know John not qualified, but nobody wants to speak it into existence. Right. I mean, ain't nobody saying nothing. Um, and to your point yeah. as well, Mary, like, you know, the, the same thing is like um, we as people of color, it's like the closer we get to whiteness, we start policing our own. Like, it's like, you know, if you and I were both in a meeting and Mary, you know, you're next in line for that, you know, for that promotion and Crystal's in the meeting and I'm being a bit loud and I'm 
doing what Crystal does, where I'm I'm causing some trouble, then Mary says like, Crystal, you you need to keep it down, right? Like we gon' you gonna ruin my chances of getting that promotion. We start policing each other and putting each other in check because we don't want to look bad because our you know our black counterpart is is acting up, right? They acting ghetto. Mm-mm, you 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 got to keep it down and. and it's so harmful to our community. Like, let's let's look at what's happening. And again, like, this is by design. This, the way that we function and the way we interact with one another, it's not by accident. It's been designed. And until we open our eyes and realize it and really look out for the collective, we all going down eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and you know what I think in regards, because I, I, man, I was sitting here listening, I'm like, dang, I, I definitely know I've been guilty of being in a situation where if you know you're, like, if it's a black group and you're you're within a place that's, you know, predominantly white, and you look at that one friend like, all right, that girl, <laughs> look at where we at, right? And you know what? <laughs> and you know, I think the main reason is because... They love to like, well, I should say they, because it's different people. You never know. So some people love to group us. And so like, I hate like generalizations, right? So mm-hmm. I've met people before who had, had met like two black people in their life before, like, you know, in person or whatever, right? So their idea of a black person came from BET on TV until they actually met one in person. I don't want BET representing me. I don't know how y'all feel. But I saw Uncut back in the day. I don't want BET representing me. So, <laughs> yeah. so but seriously, if, that, if that's all they know, like, they, this mindset, like, oh, I meet one, and this is how they act. So, and it's, you are absolutely right when you use that term policing, because it becomes, like, so, almost like a anxiety-type issue or whatever, because you're like, oh, my God, I can't look this way, can't, can't act this way, can't be this way, because you're standing out in a negative way, and you know you start thinking about how how it just like i don't know all affects like it almost seemed like everything you did would affect the culture as a whole when it's like no i'm my own person you're your own person is she crazy she crazy that's that's who she is you know what i mean <laughs> they got nothing to do with me just because we're black but it's all but you still have that pressure mm-hmm. to almost like feel like you got to an answer for her and stuff you know yeah so. and then when you try to separate yourself from that the problem is you're going to be faced with all those good old microaggressions because you you the one who don't act black. Yep. <laughs> right? I don't like all those black people, but but I got this one black friend named Candace and she not like the rest of them. <laughs> I know how black people act and this is not it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh. I mean, oh, I've been a black friend that don't act black. Oh, you don't act black. You you know, you're not like that. I've been it. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, and I've learned that's not a compliment. <laughs> no, no, it is not. It is not. No, it's not. Because then at some point, Man. people start getting too familiar and they start thinking they can try certain things and you got to be like, oh, now, hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to stay in your lane. <laughs> it's crazy, though, just because just think about like situations like that. It's like you're you're like neutral, right? You're calm, like cool, collective. 
and then it's like, oh, you don't want my black side to come out, but like, oh, uh, hello, Mary, you is black. Like, you, this is all you. But what I mean is, you don't want me to get to 100 because it ain't going to be pretty. You know, like. But think about that, though. Like, we even do ourselves an injustice or a disservice by saying that. Like, if we're saying, oh, you, you know, I'm about to act real black, that black says, like, what are we saying? Right about black people like we are then dehumanizing ourselves by saying like we're reinforcing the stereotypes that already exist it's just crazy when you sit and have the conversation when you realize like how far this goes back and how much it's already instilled into you and how hard we have to work to fix it you know and move forward that hoping like the next generation's coming up they they learn you know and do better than what we've we've done so far you know, and that's what it's about is, 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 you know, what do we, what do we do in solidarity with one another so that we ultimately can, can leave that legacy for the next generations. You know, I always tell people like, I sit in the seats that I sit in because of my ancestors and I do not discredit the lives lost and the, the, the labor worked to allow me in this position. And the least I can do is to consider how do I use my spaces to ultimately lay the groundwork for my future generations to hopefully make things even a little better than than where we sit. You know, there continues, we've come a long way, but there's a long way to still go. And how do we start to pave that path now? And I think that's about how we all talk in the same language. How are we supporting and amplifying and elevating one another? How do we challenge some of these systems that we know are harmful, right? Like being on board of directors and going to school board meetings and and, and pushing when we think about um, incarceration of, of our young kids and of our adults. Like there is so much work to be done. It'll only be accomplished if we do it together. I agree. I feel like we can go on and on talking about this. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, though, um, tell us what you what's going on. What's new with Thrive, and how has that been? How is it going? Yeah, with Thrive, um, we are pushing out in 2022. We've got a lot of new courses. So uh, a lot of the focuses with Thrive, we do a lot of work with organizations. So, um, you know, I've been had the honor to work with two federally qualified health centers to do some equity work internal to them. I'm doing some work uh, with another organization that does work within schools. Um, And then we're just doing a lot of workshops. So a lot of the focuses of the workshops are on suicide amongst our Black youth, um, looking at the impact of racism and systemic oppression on the commercial exploitation of Black girls. Um, So, you know, in my intro, you all introduced me as a trauma survivor. I'm actually a human trafficking survivor. Um, And so it's really important for me to raise awareness about the value that's placed on Black girls or the lack thereof. And, um, you know, our Black girls and Black women represent 40% of those who are um, being sexually exploited. Um, So I do a lot of work, a lot of focus on that. You know, imposter syndrome is is a big piece. And then uh, just really pushing for people to recognize like diversity is a distraction, right? Like if we just keep focusing on hearing, we got to diversify, we got to diversify. We're really not changing the systems. We're not changing the policies. We're not changing the procedures. So we got to move beyond diversity and really focus on equity and inclusion and ultimately uh, on belonging. So a lot of really great work in the pipeline. And uh, I, I just... 
you know, just continue to want to wanna work with individuals and communities. Nice. And then um, is there anything or any advice you want to leave for our listeners in regards to imposter syndrome going forward? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to, um, I, I, I like to talk a lot about Ubuntu. And so if I, if I can, I'd love to just read just a, a little short story um, that I think really kind of ties into what I'm talking about when we talk about standing in solidarity and really looking out for the collective whole. Um, so the story is that there was an anthropologist that proposed a game to African tribal children. He placed a basket of sweets near a tree and made the children stand 100 meters away and then announced that whoever reached the basket first would get all of the sweets in the basket. He says, ready, steady, go. And the children all held one another's hands, ran together towards the tree and divided the sweets equally amongst themselves and enjoyed all of the sweets together. When the anthropologist asked them why they did so, they answered Ubuntu, which means how can one be happy when the others are sad? In their language, Ubuntu means I am because we are. And so I think this is a really strong message for all of us, for our current generation and our future generation, that we are because I am and I am because we are, and that we have to stand in solidarity with one another and recognize that while our fights may not necessarily be the same, we are all in the same war and we have to stand together to keep this ship afloat. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you for that that ex- explanation. Um, thank you for coming on today. This was a great topic and we hope to have you back on again. And you know, before we go, we have our affirmations. So you're more than welcome to join in. All right. I am enough. I am enough. I have the power to create the life I desire. Power to create the life I desire. I am worthy of my dreams. I am worthy of my dreams. I am worthy of my dreams. Thanks again, Crystal. And remember, shine, sis. You got this. You got this, girl.